0: Hello, our beautiful listeners. This is episode three of Nobody Asked for This, a diet culture takedown. I'm Kendra. I'm Megan. And on this episode today, y'all, we're talking with Andrew Wilson. It's about religion and food, religion and diets. Mm. Wow, is it good? Can I just tell you that we had such like good conversation that at least 20 minutes of it is going to find its way to our patreon (laughs) because (laughs) to not overwhelm the episode so if you listen to this and you're like i need some more of that get on over to our patreon it's linked on our ig account and not only will that be there but several other wonderful things as well for you to have so we would love for you to join our little community over there yes Here's what we have to talk about before we get into this episode. Hopefully, a lot of you know that this past Friday we released the first episode in our new mini series, "The Way Down Takedown." Hey, hey, where we really get into this docu series that is on HBO called "The Way Down," about the Way Down Workshop and Remnant Fellowship Church in Nashville. Because we are the podcast that we are, and we have. Uh, you know, Megan is in Nashville. A number of our guests live in Nashville. The Remnant Fellowship is in Nashville. We've talked about this before, right. and in today's episode with Ander, we talk about it again, but we want to be, just remind you that all of our interviews basically for this season were recorded at minimum a year ago, mm-hmm. and this one was recorded in 2019. So without giving too much away for those who are like, I'm going to go watch the I'm going to go watch the episodes, the HBO episodes, and I'm going to stay away from the media telling me what's up to date right now with the Remnant Church. Just know that events that have unfolded in the last year, yeah we recorded this before that happened. Right. Uh, we're real excited about this miniseries. We're, I mean, it's kind of, all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is happening? We're, <laughs> they're, they're shedding a light on this re- hugely problematic oh church as they call themselves or cult as we might refer to them and we're going to be doing these mini series as we can and if you didn't catch it go back and listen to it but we're also really excited Megan do you want to share about our amazing news
1: yes I do okay so the reason that I even know even found out about the remnant fellowship in the first place was through a friend a personal friend and also friend of the podcast if that's the thing um Haley Osher, who actually attended the Remnant Fellowship one time on a recruitment night. Um, spoiler, spoiler alert, if your church has recruitment nights, it might be a guilt. Uh, so we're going to have her on an episode, and she's going to tell us about what she experienced there and what it was like to be there in the presence of Gwen. yes. Yeah, I'm really
0: excited to hear from uh, Haley about her experience there, and I'm really grateful that she's willing to share it. Yeah. Because, you know, if you're watching the docuseries, you know, there's a lot.
1: It's wild.
0: It's real wild. So as always, we just want to let you know, we do talk about diets and specific language of Mm -hmm. diets within the church, outside of the church. Um, So take care of yourself. Listen if that feels good to you, and if it doesn't, don't listen. And as always, this podcast is for information and education purposes only. Please do not take anything we say as professional advice. And now it's time for Shut the Fuck Up, where we talk about diet culture in pop culture. In our interview today with Andrew Wilson, she shares with us ways that we see religious language show up culture just within culture, particularly how it is used in, you know, we'll call them main, mainstream or secular diet programs.
1: Yeah, um, yep, which yep, is definitely.
0: always just a fascinating thing to talk about. Yeah, and so you know, like talking about Atkins and how we talk about it being the last supper, you know, like the last big meal before you decide to start a diet It's mm-hmm. like crazy. Just a whole lot of stuff. I decided, um, um, we're all very aware that there are, uh, even within Christendom, we'll say specifically, there are a lot of authors out there Mm-hmm. who are real desperate to make a dollar and real desperate to prey on your insecurities yeah. and really want to mess with you and so they write books where they claim that the that the way to Jesus and the way to God is through the food you eat. So I did a little, you know, a pretty simple Google search that we're all capable of doing yeah. and found a whole list of books and some of these titles y'all I just can't.
1: Okay, these so are Megan's book titles
0: book titles for authors who, I mean, I guess they're Christians and they have written these diet books, like let's diet with Jesus. Thankfully that is not the name of any of these books. Please nobody get any ideas and write that book, but anyway, so, okay. So here's the list. Okay. Um, and I have no authors attached to these cause I'm not trying to give anyone any great props or credit great. for any of this. Great. Okay. I like that. For all you know, I made them up. No, I did not. These are real books, you guys. <laughs> These are real books, real stories with real people. Viewer discretion is <laughs> You got <it>. are <laughs> What show says that? Law well, and Order? Anyway. Yeah. The Maker's Way. Mm-mm. That could be about, I'm a crafter. That diet in Jesus, <laughs> not the thing I think about. It sounds very crafty or like pottery even. Pottery yeah. tips.
1: Pottery tips with Joanne. Well,
0: and that could very well be a um, making pottery with Jesus.
1: Yeah. Know, Jesus
0: is the potter. Anyway, and we are the okay. clay.
1: Mm-hmm. And we
0: are the clay. That's right. Um, healthy eating God's way.
1: Huh. Oh. God, I just can't remember like much in the Bible about like what to eat past like. Past like the hoofed stuff and shrimp. Like, oh, you the know, Old testament. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and um. Well, yeah, and majority of the kind of prominent stories of food are Mm -hmm. that we should make sure everybody has some.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. to The problems of
0: food scarcity in our world. It's a
1: little more radical than like what we should be eating. Yeah. okay.
0: Okay. Okay. Speaking of, um, the next one. What would Jesus eat? no i'm dying mm-hmm. i'm dying for the bracelet <laughs> <W-W-J-E>. <laughs> oh, i'm gonna make myself one uh, of these because i'm i'm a yeah. crafty human yeah. and i'm going to wear it and people ask me what does that mean i'm like we well, all remember what would jesus do this is this what, is would, jesus what eat? would jesus eat it's like a holier thing <laughs> um the next oh one's gosh. called the Prey Fit Diet, which I don't even want to talk about. Pray okay. Fit. This okay. one's hard, y'all. Just be prepared. This next one is called Freedom from Emotional Eating,
1: a Whoa. Weight mm-hmm.
0: Loss Bible Study.
1: Yikes. Yikes. Also, I would just like to point out that even intuitive eating, which like a lot of people kind of kind of consider like the latest um most evidence based sort of way to eat the, without restriction but is still like supportive if you want to pursue health mm-hmm. and like even in the last edition of intuitive eating they took out emotional eating because they were or they or they at least like had a discussion about how like it is not bad.
0: Yeah, they changed the the principle right um, to not to not essentially mean that though part of the work of intuitive eating is to not emotionally eat. They recognize that sometimes emotionally eating is a good thing for us to do.
1: Well, it's like uh birthdays, having birthday cake, like that's emotional eating. That's social and emotional bonding. Like that's supportive of our health because it's connection and community.
0: Well and I'm just like, what are the verses you all are pulling from to tell people to not emotionally eat? And I'm gonna tell you right now, if it's Jesus in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, I'm gonna burn the book. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: then there's the daniel plan maybe one of mm-hmm. the most prominent of these mm-hmm. nonsense books um and my favorite thing about the daniel plan is that it's written by three dudes one of which is pastor rick warren who no. absolutely knows about uh what it means for nutritious like for people to have nutrients so he's uh-huh.
1: totally qualified to write a book right about eating. just a just a mega church pastor right just a big old mega church pastor. Yeah. So I'm sure, yeah, like in his MDiv studies, he covered a whole a whole section oh, yeah. about nutrition. Yeah.
0: It's real prominent in seminary and education. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. Then, okay. Then we get into some books that are more modern. So a lot of those were written. You might look at the cover and go, oh, that was written like in the nineties. Mm. Don't be fooled y'all. This stuff is still getting written. And these book covers are like that. They look like boho with like sweeping letters. And y'all know what I'm saying. They're getting hip to the
1: times.
0: The next book is called Full. And the tagline of this book, food, Jesus, and the battle for satisfaction. Huh. And. The author in this one talks about their quote unquote sugar addiction. No, 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 no. And their sugar
1: detox. Speaking of Ander, our guest on this episode, you can revisit season two, episode one, where Ander takes us through why you cannot be addicted to sugar. I'm going to say it again you cannot be addicted to sugar because yep. you cannot be addicted to food because right. it keeps you alive correct
0: yes okay the next book is called fulfilled so we got mm. a, we got a theme here mm-hmm. full fulfilled mm. let go of shame embrace your body and eat the food you love now this book is written From a faith, what it kind of claims is that it is a faith-based perspective on intuitive eating, to which my question is, why? Why? Why can't people just read intuitive eating? Because it's secular. Secular, Kendra. Then there's another one similar called Grace, Food, and Everything in Between, also written from a faith-based, quote-unquote, faith-based perspective on intuitive eating.
1: You know, do you think that, um, the whole premise and intuitive eating about not moralizing food, do you think when we put a word like grace next to a word like food, that that is supportive and sort of dismantling the moralizing of food? Because I just don't think that, (laughs) I think that that actually reinforces the morality Mm -hmm. of like putting moral value on food.
0: Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. Okay. All right, y'all buckle in couple Mm. more for you Mm. made for paradise (laughs) okay paradise referring to before the fall of man quote-unquote of adam and eve literally eating from a tree okay so it's not even talking about heaven well i mean i guess you could interpret it that way too okay gods the reason i say that is because this is the rest of the title okay god's original plan Mm. for healthy eating (laughs) physical activity and rest and they use the body as the temple like not correctly i'll just say not correctly
1: right because like like as we know in leviticus 4:23, god does lay out a nice exercise and eating plan for us all to follow
0: yeah that's where we get these like stretches that we do lunging these, and these ge- yeah because
1: god told sacred us to stretching we forgot about the sacred stretching chapter we forgot about it
0: original plan for healthy eating i can't i
1: can't what does that
0: mean you know what how they don't even know what that means no they made it original 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 i can't i mean i could go on about the original like genesis the text of that the two different accounts that are in scripture and the accounts that are not in scripture that account for the creation of the earth and all these other things hey there isn't enough actual understanding and data for you to be able to claim that, you know, what healthy eating was and what that means for us in the year 2021. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Like, like, we don't even have time to talk about like healthy eating as a concept and like it being almost meaningless, but also, um, the original plan makes me think that like, are we preparing food with no electricity then? Because there was none a long, long, long time ago. So like, are we just eating all raw food? Are we killing our own protein if we're eating animal food? Like what? I just, what?
0: Well, there are, and I don't know if this is part of this particular book, because I will never be picking this book up. But Mm. I do know that there are some claims that veganism is how we should be eating or we should only be eating raw like a raw diet and they make a similar connection to like the garden the original
1: yeah what happened
0: before the fall like
1: you just I just raw. I love my microwave I love my stove and oven who wants to live? I love my
0: refrigerator what woman wants to live in Genesis no no none none <laughs> women none Probably no man either. And get anyone. blamed Probably for nobody. the fall of man again? No thanks. <laughs> no, been there, done that. It didn't work fool out me well. Once. <laughs> fool me once, shame on me. Fool me, shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame You're never going to fool me again. You're never going. Gonna... <laughs> to Okay, the last book is called "When Christian." And maybe this is the worst one, to be fair, is "When Christians Get Sick," and it's written by oh. a guy i think a guy who had cancer and then makes some connections to what we need to eat so we don't get cancer
1: you know and now i have gone from sad to mad and other things but yeah enraged as a as a daughter of a man that had cancer and then a stroke and is now passed i want to fucking slap this person. <laughs> I'll probably slap them in my dreams tonight, honestly. Cool. um wow how problematic. So problematic.
0: And here's what we have to say to these people who continue to manipulate um and profit, attempt mm-hmm. to profit mm-hmm. off the vulnerabilities mm-hmm. of people of society mm-hmm. in the name of Christianity. In the name of Jesus, I would like to, on behalf
1: of Jesus, say, <laughs> shut the fuck up. Did you hear that? Everyone, Kendra is now speaking on behalf of Jesus and she and Jesus say, shut the fuck up. Okay. I'm just jokes, 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 jokes. jokes, jokes <laughs> sure, 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 sure. But also it's a fun little experiment in your mind, a thought experiment to think about like if you've heard the story of jesus overturning the tables in the temple because they were selling things like just picture all these books on all these tables and jesus like running through turning them over turning them over left and right like he's Teresa judice and just taking this shit he was big mad jesus was big mad when that happened Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) yeah because they were doing exactly what these people were doing Mm -hmm. which was taking advantage of the of the vulnerable in the in the temple Mm. Mm. all right so just you know hi everyone just like shut the fuck up okay thank you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: hi we are here with Ander wilson of nashville nutrition partners i'm so excited to be here you know Ander from our first episode of season two when we talked about... All the diet BS. We, we did. We what what was myths. a diet? Yeah. And why is it problematic? Tell us your qualifications. I'm a registered dietitian, nutritionist, a licensed dietitian
2: in the state of Tennessee. That means that I've got a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and have completed a dietetic internship, which is really similar to like a residency. Okay. Um, my... Undergraduate degree is in nutrition and dietetics, so that is how individual nutrients affect your body. And then my master's degree is in sustainable food systems, so that is looking at the context in which people make food choices. The combination of the micro, looking at individual nutrients, and then the macro at the big picture influences the way that I work with clients and my own interests and study. So you do one-on-one. I do one-on-one nutrition therapy with clients in our office in East Nashville. I specialize in women's health and eating disorders. I love helping people figure out how to take care of themselves without using diets. I also love helping clients figure out complicated puzzles so like when you've got a few things going on
1: and it's not so straightforward that's that's my favorite so when we talked about doing an episode with you mm-hmm. we were like what do you want to talk about and you were like religion <laughs> anti-culture <laughs> you know two like pretty neutral yeah, topics. Yes. yeah. super like, no controversy yeah everybody agrees on yeah. all the things related to those topics mm-hmm. yeah totally Ander, what made you curious about the connection between religion and dieting? Oh, so a few things.
2: Um, First, I am just always curious about new takes, um, new and interesting ways to view food. So because this is my profession and because I'm an eight, like I go all in, um, which means that I can also get burnout on certain topics. So I get bored, and I just love any new way of looking at health, nutrition, and food. And I saw that one of my favorite scholars, her name is Dr. Emily Contois, she had written a paper on the theology of dieting, and I was like, oh my God, let me go dive into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, I think it it also helped me to go back and understand my upbringing differently and the church and then third um my clients i see a lot of clients i mean a few times a week who um come in and have had some uh interaction with either a faith based or like devotional dieting thing um that week or since our last session or they're unpacking those connections, um, in their past. And when the, when, you know, religion, when you, when your religion is tied up or connected at all into you know weight loss and we do the work of trying to dismantle this fat phobia and understand health differently. So when we start to remove some of those things, if they're attached to religious uh, ideas, then that can be super unsettling. Yeah. So um, it's relevant in my clients' lives, and so that means it's relevant in my life.
1: Tell us a little bit about your religious background, and then I want us to sort of chime in with our backgrounds just to bring clarity to the conversation. And Yeah, I
2: think that's really yeah. helpful because—so uh, I grew up Christian, um, Southern Baptist, in a small town in an all-white church in uh, the suburbs— charlotte north carolina so outside of there i was also homeschooled which brings in a whole different religious element and we were definitely homeschooled for religious reasons currently i consider myself a christian i would not consider myself evangelical Um, I don't know that everyone else would consider me Christian, but I think that's a personal thing and my family and I attend a, um, really progressive church sporadically. It's right down the street and faith is a big part of my life because it's how I was raised and the lens in which I was taught to see the world. And so I, the practices are different, but I would say that the core components of, um, who I know Jesus to be as the central character and element of Christianity is the same. I was
0: raised um, close to Southern Baptist, but fundamental. Ba- I call it fundamental Baptist. Um, they would call it independent Baptist. Um, so the big
1: difference jeans, skirts.
0: Uh huh. So the big difference there would be that um, Southern Baptist is a, uh, a much larger convention connection kind of nationally. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're an independent Baptist church, you are it, you know? So your leadership is, all your checks and balances are in-house basically. It's the big, Is oh, one of the big... Okay. There's not like a convention mm-hmm. or anything. But independent Baptist was is much bigger up north than it is obviously in the south where Southern Baptist mm-hmm. is really prevalent. Mm-hmm. So there are connections of the independent Baptist church, however... The kind of governance that comes with the, what the Southern Baptist Convention or some of the other national denominations brings are, is not there when it's an independent church. Similar theologies and, and backgrounds. Um, a lo- I was not homeschooled, but I have a, I had a lot of friends who were homeschooled um, for religious reasons growing up, so I'm like very aware of that world, um, and I have since then, been kind of a hodgepodge of a church Christian person. Um, (laughs) I've been a part of all kinds of different churches in a lot of different places, and I'm currently on staff at a church. I think there are people who would look at the way I understand my faith and say it's not Christian, Um, but I... I think similar, as it sounds similar to you, Ander, find Jesus to be the central element of it. So I, I start there and my theology comes out from Jesus. So yeah, so I very much uh, find the practices uh, kind of spiritual formation and development and the spiritual disciplines important and part of my life. And I believe the church can be a good place. Um, and I want to work towards that end. Megan, what about you? Tell us about your, little, your journey of
1: the church. And religion. I also grew up Southern Baptist. She we all grew wow. up in this. Oh, look at oh us. Look at all us, babe. Baptist.
0: Look at us. Well, you know. not anymore, I guess. Look at us, uh, Reformed Baptist. I don't know. What I would you say? Sure, I don't know.
1: sure, sure, sure. Um, recovering. Mm. <laughs> recovering. There you go. <laughs> my grandfather um, was a chaplain and then also a, a Baptist preacher. Let's see. I went to a Christian school from third grade through ninth grade and evangelical. And cut to today, um I don't really have a label for myself. I would say that I am more spiritual than religious. I feel like such a tool saying that. I don't know why. <laughs> don't. Um yeah. Yeah. There's no shame no. in it. Um I go I gather with a community here in Nashville like every other week that's called Imaginarium. Um but I don't know, I I, I, um, I still think, obviously, that my upbringing shapes a lot of who I am and my decisions, um, and I'm from the Church of Anti-Diet Culture. I don't no. know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a member. <laughs> Card carrying. <laughs> yeah, so those are the lenses that were coming through. So, in your background, your Southern Baptist background, Ander, How was food used? I would say, so
2: first, um, I'm white. I grew up in a smaller body, able-bodied. And because of that, I think my experience with food was really positive. I didn't have the same pressures that I think some of my peers in larger bodies would have had growing up in the same church. Like, I remember there being weight loss programs at my church, but that wasn't something that I ever had to worry about or anybody encouraged me to do or approach me about. So my experience is not the same of, you know, all Southern Baptists. Um, but food played a mostly positive role in my experience. I remember a church potlucks, um, like church cookbooks and fundraisers. I've been really interested recently in getting my hands on, you know, the church cookbooks that are like my mom has that are like falling apart. that Mm had my favorite recipes, um, My mom was diagnosed with cancer when I was in middle school. And I remember whenever she started treatment for a solid year, we had dinner brought to our house. I want to say almost every day. Um, There were four of us. Like my mom was young. She was in her thirties, um, four kids. And, um, so food was a way that I definitely felt loved and cared for. And um, so that was huge for me. I also grew up really gravitating towards um, hunger and poverty and food insecurity stories that I heard about um, in in terms of like missions and like, hey, there are these um, quote unquote helpless people Mm -hmm. on the other end of the world. Here's what we can do to help. And I was all about that. That's actually how I got into nutrition is, was really interested in world hunger, um, but I didn't know, what on earth do you do to study that? Yeah. I should have studied public health, but I didn't know what public health was right. growing up in a small town. Um, so I studied nutrition, and I got into that and learned that actually, that has nothing to do with <laughs> it. Lack with of that nutrition country. information is not what yeah. <laughs> we've got, like, a lack of democracy on the other end of the world Um, so in that aspect food was really positive Um, on the other hand I remember fat jokes from the pulpit I remember way down workshop which is a diet program that was in our church Um, I remember there being a lot of talk of course in youth group about like bodies Mm. and um, we can get into bodies later But, um, yeah, it was mostly positive, but I think that has a lot to do with my privilege of the the body size that I occupied. Um, I think that other people
1: probably had different experiences. Yeah. I'm just remembering a church sponsored diet that my mom did. It was called first place, first of all. And I'm remembering... Because Jesus is a winner. (laughs) (laughs) And you should be too. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. Um... And it was all women. And I wonder if that was specified in the curriculum or if that was – either Either way, that's an interesting yeah. thing to think about, I think.
0: I was just saying this to Megan, like, what, two days ago? I was watching Grey's Anatomy, and there's this great scene at the end mm-hmm. of this episode where it's the directorial debut of Alan Pompeo, who's the lead of Grey's Anatomy. Well, shout-out. Yeah. Anyway, because she needs it. Um <laughs> She's got a twenty million dollar deal, highest paid. Anyway, whatever. Um, And it's uh, the what's happened is one of the lead characters' uh, mothers has passed. Her mother has passed away, and these other two, that her sisters have brought her home, and they call themselves sisters. And the scene is um, the this this Maggie's her name. The one who's lost her mom is sitting at the dining room table with a pan of. Half eaten lasagna in front of her and a fork, but she's not doing anything or moving. And the other two sisters come into the room to find her there and just with no talking, sit down, grab forks and start eating the lasagna which then prompts maggie to start eating the lasagna just this really beautiful moment of how like food was really central to that like they didn't need to say anything they just were being present with each other and it got me thinking about how often (laughs) food is used in the church for i mean just like you were saying andrew you were brought meals you know for the solid year when your mom was diagnosed with cancer and it's like what do we do when people get married in the church we eat cake what do we do when a baby is born or somebody is ill, you take them food? What do you do when, as a sacrament, what do we do as for the Lord's Supper? We eat bread and drink wine or juice, right? What do you do? I mean, it's just on and on, like these food, these kind of ritualistic things that we do around food. And I, similarly to you, have, have a pretty positive experience with that. I mean, I remember like ice cream socials were like the best thing in the whole yeah. world. <laughs> you mean I can have yeah. multiple kinds of ice cream, and you're gonna have like a table full of toppings for me to
1: choose from? I mean, you know. And and was yours homemade? Like our ice cream socials, people brought homemade yeah. ice cream. Oh. And you heard the cheering going?
0: <gasps> so. No, Mm-mm. I think ours was like mm, sorry. Kroger brand or something. I didn't care; it's ice cream. Still good, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> So it's like this, such a mixed message. I mean, I feel like is what was happening. And so I'm wondering if there are examples like food restriction or just food in general, how it was used in your religious context growing up.
2: Certainly communion. And when I think about, okay, what is the purpose of communion And you as like the official religious... Oh, gosh. I don't (laughs) want that title. (laughs) You can can fill the blanks here. But from my understanding, it was so that we can remember. Mm -hmm. So food as um, a way to remember. And that's kind of how I feel about the church cookbooks. It's like, I want these recipes, so it's a way for me to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think there... I can think about other ways in which food was used in a really problematic way. Can we talk about that? So certainly the dieting and like the way down workshop um, and restricting food. I think also just conversations about dieting, um, very similar to, you know, the the same conversations happen in secular circles as well. Um, And then do you guys, did any of you ever have the forty-hour famine or the thirty-hour mm-hmm. famine? It was like we're gonna raise money for like World Vision or something, mm-hmm. and oh. we're gonna ask teenagers, 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 like think about teenage girls to fast yep. Th- for thirty hours. Yeah, I think it used to be. I looked it up because um, I was curious about it, and it used to be like forty-hour fast, and then they moved it to thirty hours because somebody passed out, probably. <laughs> Um, I also think it's really interesting that we thought, hey, there's this, here's this big problem that we care deeply about that's connected to our faith, and we think that the best way to um, bring attention to this and to address it isn't to push for policies or elect officials um, who might actually be able to change that thing, um, but to fast for I don't know how many days. And I think they have like a lock-in. So yeah. it was also like, it was like we're fasting, but we're also playing Nerf gun games
1: <laughs> and yeah. video
2: games. Yeah. So like you're playing while you're also trying to dip your toe into this very real like humanitarian crisis. Um, to raise, try it on. Yeah. Try That's it on here. So you're appropriating. Yeah. Um, and, you're, yeah, and you're, yeah, they're suffering. And you're
0: centering your, yourself in the problem totally. as mm-hmm. to trying to center those actually affected.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there was that thing (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't remember participating. I don't think I had a desire to as much as I cared about that issue. Nothing about, um, that didn't make sense to me. I do remember thinking like that doesn't make any sense
1: to me. I did it. You did? (laughs) I was really hungry. I did it. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. There was a concert too. (gasps) A concert? Yeah.
0: I never knew this was a thing. We didn't do this. We did fasting was definitely a thing we were we were taught and encouraged to try for, you know, half a quarter mm-hmm. of a day or half a day or even, you know, work yourself up to a whole day or whatever. Like mm-hmm. and was definitely something that felt like was taught of um, from a lens to youth in particular, of like, well, if you're if you're able to do this, like you're holier, right? Like you have a a deeper mm-hmm. spiritual life if you can fast mm-hmm. for you know, it's just kind of a how some of that, um, some of those spiritual disciplines were co-opted for morality and for worth, you know. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Ooh. Tell us
2: about specifically the Way Down. Way Down what? Way Down Workshop. And
1: that's a W-E-I-G-H.
2: Yes. Ooh. Um, so Way Down Workshop, I remember in our church growing up. And uh, it was like a few weeks ago when um, Annabeth, who works here at National Nutrition Partners, said something that made me make the connection that the founder of Way Down Workshop is still like alive and well with a thriving community. And actually, it's just like 20 minutes from where I live right now. So mm. it's uh, Remnant Fellowship Church. Gwen Shamblin. And Sham. There are... <laughs> yes, Sham. Uh, she has a nickname of Guizus. I bet that was... Self-given. I don't know. Uh, and I don't know enough about it, but I will say that it's categorized and referred to as a cult um, by a lot of people in and around town. Whether I know if it, like, meets the requirements of that, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it is a church where, I mean, one of their central, quote-unquote, ministries is this weight loss program. Um, yeah. Mm. I mean, it is the thing that they lead with
1: how they attract people yeah
2: yeah and it's very much turn away from your the languages, turn away from your um sinful desires for like yeah, food and whatever <laughs> yes right um <laughs> and instead so we're gonna connect you to god <sighs> instead what and we're gonna connect like you're gonna instead rely on god and so it, it makes those things mutually exclusive like Sustaining your life, and then also, like having any type of spiritual life, it's basically like you could do one or the other. Um,
0: Yeah, I'd really like to know problematic. I'd really like to know what their theological, how they've come to the theological position of eating as sin, but
2: it's sinful. I mean, I think that that is not um, that's not just in way down workshop. No, sure. Every, everywhere. Yeah. And I think that's from, you know, what we know about food and how it interacts in the body and uh, metabolism and physiology is n- newer. But our religious understanding and values and scripture is ancient. Mm. Mm. And that has a stronger hold. This is, I guess, the meaning that I've made of my experience with clients is that has a much stronger hold than newer science. So the view of food as um, good or bad or of the desire to eat as a human desire, so inherently sinful, Mm -hmm. um, and and then having shame and guilt around that, Mm -hmm. um, that is a way that they make meaning of very normal biological experiences of hunger and fullness and cravings. Um, But instead of seeing this as like, oh, this is how like our bodies are made and this is my body taking care of me and this is a very normal reaction Um, it's the ties to morality are much stronger and much more deeply rooted and also consistent with the way I mean we've got Protestant Christian um, undertones like everything right
1: right. Um, so you've talked a little bit about how when you tie food rules let's say to something very deeply ingrained like religion and something that is so much a part of our identity it's really hard to separate those two. And so I'm wondering what sort of beliefs and feelings about food and about body image you hear come up with your clients and how that's tied to their religious beliefs. So you've talked a little bit about like sin, the word sinful and temptation. Yeah. Um, yeah. So could you talk a little more about that?
2: Yeah. So most of what I understand about the theology of dieting comes from Dr. Emily Contois and her paper, which is guilt-free and simply delicious, a contemporary theology of weight loss dieting. And it's fascinating. Yeah. The messages that I think come across are that the human body's desires are simple and wrong and cannot be trusted. Hmm. So if you think about natural human desires, like, um, lust, that's mm-hmm. a big one. That's like, no, you've got to like deny yourself. Mm-hmm. So there is this, um, I, so my personal experience was I was taught to like distrust my body really, really young yeah. that your desires and your wants, what you think are, you know, needs maybe aren't, but it's the sin of the flesh Hmm. Okay, and that carries over into hunger and how we, how much we eat, um, whether we allow ourselves to eat, whether we should, quote should or shouldn't be eating. Mm-hmm. And so I see, or I hear from a lot of my clients is their understanding of why they quote unquote can't um, diet is that. They don't have the willpower. They don't have the discipline. Something is wrong with them. It's, it is the, 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 the story of the fall of man, which is that I am broken. I am inherently broken or sinful and that I, yeah, that I'm not going to be enough. And I need salvation from, you know, some set of rules, some system, um, to help me because I can't trust myself. Right. Whenever my clients come in and they're, you know, explaining to me using words like guilt and shame, and I should be able to do better. Um, I need to be more disciplined. I need to have more willpower. Then I get to have a conversation with them. Like, Hey, do you know about how the body works, how the body uses carbs and fats and proteins and how it, um, whenever you, are restricting food how it makes those hunger cravings stronger and that's actually your body taking care of you because you need carbohydrates for your brain to work you know so we get to have
1: <laughs> to alive. I know a
2: fun um, science lesson where they start to see that this is not about my um, f- the failure of my character but this is actually my body taking care of me
1: mm. That's beautiful. I was just got this... Or I guess I'm remembering, like, how we're sort of taught to just be in this, like, fight with our body because of that, like, mm-hmm. sin of the flesh or whatever. And some things through working with people like you and Jen is, like, to have a dialogue with your body because you you turn those things off. Mm-hmm. You turn those hunger cues off and you turn, like just the wisdom of the body off Mm -hmm. and that makes it really hard to relearn how to listen Mm -hmm. I think
2: and if if you think about it if you grow up in like a fundamentalist um Christian religion where it's you know they're reading the bible literally and they're saying turn off all of your wants needs and desires Mm -hmm. and we are going to do everything according to scripture however you're interpreting that because we all have a lens in which we interpret scripture we also have a lens in which uh, we interpret um, science health like that's not just a bible thing Um, that's everything and so we're like okay shut this off talking about like shut off you know your connection to your body and instead i'm going to um, defer to the bible well then we're looking for it literally for everything right and I so I get it when somebody comes out of that culture and they're looking to the Bible to learn how to eat Mm -hmm. because they've been taught that what I feel is not credible, Mm. um, and this book is supposed to have every answer for my everyday like needs, and so you know you're searching and trying, (laughs) trying to find all right like what am I supposed to be doing, Mm -hmm. Um, and there are a lot of sermons and um, devotional weight loss books that try to provide those answers um but we know that they don't work right why not why don't they work um because yeah i don't think that that interpreting uh scripture as a um nutrition plan is what god had in mind <laughs> i don't know i can't it's speak, like I funny can't, when you I say I that speak, out loud. i don't know um, <sighs> i also think it could be a shift like you could um, I'm not asking someone to, not all my clients are are Christian or religious. Um, it's interesting, though, how Christian and religious themes permeate, like, everybody.
0: So how are the tenets of religion, how are they used to create diet programs like these ones we've been talking about, and, and really just this kind of overall
2: permeation of kind of religion among all this? Yeah. So there's two different ways that religious themes show up in diets. Um, One is what we've talked about, which is like Christian dieting or like devotional dieting, where we're going to take scripture, um, the Bible, and use it to create some diet plan and say, this is God's will for you or whatever. Um, The other category is secular diets that use religious themes. And this can be, uh, in Emily's paper, um, she looked at the South beach diet and the Atkins diet. And it's like, these things have all of the words, <laughs> phrases, images, icons, um, everything that is used to qualify something as a diet.
1: So like what symbols, what words? So
2: there's, um, there's a central theme. So dieting, it orients itself around a central theme, which is thinness, Mm -hmm. which is like salvation. Mm -hmm. Um, and it creates a system of beliefs to help you attain that. Um, there is even language in, I'm going to say specifically the Atkins book about how this will help you be like born again. I think there's a testimonial and like, I've been Born again in this diet. Um, well, I wish and, you
1: could see Dan Kendra's
2: faces, listeners. <laughs> uh, Born again. Okay. Born again. There's, uh, gosh, get, that's like, a
0: term I haven't heard around. in a really long time. <laughs>
2: Sorry. <laughs> I, I wish I could say I hadn't heard that in a long time. <laughs> I wish I could say. Um, but the rituals and practices like counting um, calories, measuring, tracking, how do we live up? Um, that is all really similar to everything that um, makes up a religion. So you've got thinness, thinness as the ultimate goal. There is um, good and bad food, which is mm-hmm. you can think about like good and bad behavior. And then what happens whenever we've had bad food? Well, we fall off the wagon and there's guilt and shame. And then there's like this repentance. Um, sometimes there is confession, yeah, yeah. You think think about like check-ins at like a Weight Watchers meeting. Accountability. Yeah, and dieting, um, In these diets. What's considered good and holy is thinness and mm-hmm. the thin body, and then conversely, you've got the fat body that is more linked to the evil. Right. Yeah.
1: So, and so that also just assumes that we have complete control over our weight and totally. it's something that we can change. Yep. And we know from research that that is not the that case. Is not,
2: that is not the case. And again, I think that if I'm being generous and giving the benefit of the doubt, then I can say, hey, like this, these religious themes um, are ancient and our yeah. understanding of the human body and science is new. I don't know that if they came about in the same time that it would be any different. Right. The central theme that really hooked me into being interested in this is uh, the theme of restraint, Um, mostly because I'm not good at restraint. (laughs) And I think that's something that made me not good at religion growing up. There was a lot that I just didn't, I couldn't connect with or I had a hard time with. Um, and I also wasn't good at diets when I grew up. Like, I, again, as somebody who doesn't want to be controlled and I don't like rules and I certainly don't like arbitrary rules if I don't understand them or don't think that they're worthwhile, like I just wasn't good at either of those. And by good, I mean like good with like following directions and sticking to it. Um, and so it was really interesting to me, this theme of restraint and then I think bringing in... Also, a a feminist lens of like restraint and how women are taught to um, practice restraint in all areas in our voices, in our bodies, in um, our activities, and the way that we show up in the world. I think that's the thing that hooked me in because I definitely resonate with that and the struggle with my faith. And then I see restraint being something that my clients are constantly striving for and my question is why? Because I know from uh, what I know about the body and the science of the body, how your body responds to restraint, which is it will rebel, right? right. like me. Um, (laughs) And so I guess the question that I I come to my clients with is is really like, why? Where's this idea of restraint coming from? Like, why? What is that rooted in? Is that is that really serving you? Is that really in line with your other values? Like, mm-hmm. is that coming from your faith or is that coming from something else that somebody has attached to your faith and sold to you?
1: Yeah. I know Well, I've, I've read that, um, even the thought or the plan for restriction of food leads to binging. It can. Yes, it can. Okay. Yeah. So you think about like all the, Oh, what's it called? I think there's a name for it, but like when you're about to go on a diet and so you have your last meal, the last meal, Last, last Supper, supper last which supper. is hilarious that it's yep. called the Last Supper. Yep. Hello, welcome to this conversation. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, because you're like, I'm going to eat all the foods because I know I'm not going to get them yeah. later. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, well, I mean, I see what you're saying about like your need to rebel anyway. Mm-hmm. But anyone trying to restrain, yeah. like it's, it's a setup for failure.
2: Yeah, your body will, it's going to fight back because it wants to keep you alive. Yeah, Like it's serving you and it's taking care of you. Like it's yeah. a, it's not a, a bad story. It's a really good story.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Your body has the best intentions. I
2: know. So I, I love in my job that I get to, ha religious reference, share good news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is you like, I like that I don't have to be the food police that I actually get to come in and say, Hey, we, we can. We can worry less about this. You already have enough to worry about. This isn't relevant. This isn't true. Mm-hmm. So, like let's, let's let go. Yeah, let's let go and, and and focus on something else. And
0: I think if the but if it's, the church were doing their its job, <laughs> it would it would be doing the same thing of, you know, let's let go of some of this other stuff and let's this is what the good you know the good news is. And mm-hmm. I think it was naughty. I've heard Nadia bowles Weber say this before. Uh, Lutheran minister
1: who talks about purity culture yeah
0: Yeah. mm -hmm. but I heard her speak at a conference once and she said the statement of like I'm a I'm a minister my job is to um it's to help you understand that God loves you that you know it's to understand the gospel the end it's not to worry about your quote-unquote moral choices or your you know what I mean like this is this is my job that's what i'm that's what i'm mm-hmm. ordained and called to do. and so often i think um there's like more to that for a lot of other ministers or kind of within the church like we're talking about like well but if you understand god's love then you will also do all these things, you
2: know. um mm-hmm. i i think that's a um the word to bring in here is uh consumption and consumerism mm-hmm. and how that influences this. so how do you yeah how do these weight loss programs come out of churches mm. as products to be consumed? And then also the tension between this uh, value of restraint and also the American identity mm. as consumers. Yeah. And we're doing both of that and wrestling with those multiple, those, yeah, multiple identities.
1: Yeah. Cause production rates plays a big role in that. Like the, the obsession with health is, leads to dieting because we think that those are the same things Mm -hmm. and we want health so that we can produce more and more and more and more and And we want to produce more and more and more and more because capitalism yes and so that we can consume more and more and more
0: Mm -hmm. thank you so much ander for joining us and for having this conversation it's such an important one and it's so
2: nuanced And i feel like we only scratch the surface. Thank you so much for having me and for being
1: conversation partners. Another fantastic interview on the books with Andrew Wilson. Wow wow wow. I always learn another
0: new thing when I go back and listen again, like every every pass of the interview.
1: <laughs> yeah, right.
0: I'm like, "Oh yeah, that." It's like that new thing, another new thing even though I was there for
1: the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: But sometimes it takes some time to process. So we just want to let you know, Nashville Nutrition Partners, is, which is uh, obviously in Nashville, but Ander is a one of the co-founders of Nashville Nutrition Partners. They have a ton of dietitians on staff, all with different specialties. You can go to their website and fill out a form and they will help you get connected to the right fit for you. Um, and all of their dietitians are weight inclusive and they work from a weight neutral approach which is
1: what we love to see. Yes, we do.
0: Yes. They do virtual uh, options as well. And they did virtual before the pandemic because you don't have to be in Nashville. You can Mm -hmm. be anywhere and you can be part of the practice. And one of the coolest things is that they take insurance. If you're in Tennessee and you have Tennessee insurance, they will take it. So let them know because they will help find out how much of what, you know, the cost can be covered through your insurance. So go to the websites linked below, check it out. They've also got some really cool resources and good book recommendations as well. So we're always here for Nashville Nutrition Partners. That's yes, where we hosted are. our season two premiere party mm-hmm. ages and ages and ages ago. Um, and we're just so grateful to Ander and really just Nashville Nutrition
1: Partners for all of like all of their support of our podcast. Yeah. And Jen, Jen Fleischer. Yeah. Okay. So if you've listened to season one and season two, actually mainly season two, I think we asked you for a favor at the end of every episode. And that was to subscribe, rate, review, if you learned anything and if, or if you just enjoyed yourself, or if you did neither, if you neither learned anything or enjoyed yourself, we still asked you to leave a a review or a rating. (laughs) And so we want to ask you again, please. um, This is the way that we can spread our influence, gain listeners, and it lets people know if they look it up, like, Oh, people are into this. I might be into this. So we want to ask you again to subscribe, rate and review. And if you are stuck Thinking, what am I going to write for this review? We want to give you some ideas. Now, listen, Mm -hmm. we are not saying, please go write this. We're saying, if you would like to, here are some options. Uh, It could just be, um, hey, I like this podcast, period, end. It could be, hey, I like this podcast and I also like fall, period, end. Mm -hmm. Take it one step further, as Beyonce says, hey, I like this podcast. And here's why I like being fat in the fall season. If I was writing that, I would say, hey, I love this podcast. And I love being fat in the fall because I'm less sweaty, except we're in Tennessee. So it's not really less sweaty, but it will be soon and soon, maybe in November. If I were writing a
0: review, I would say, I love this podcast and I love, the fall because of sweater weather sweater weather and if you get the reference we should be best friends (laughs) if
1: you're if you're 35 and over and get the reference (laughs) then we should be the best of friends sweater weather sweater weather can I tell you something that's really gotten me in the fall mood over the past two days okay I started doing summer pots on my stove so Uh Uh-huh. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I realized we had a lemon, which like, wow, we had a lemon. I mean, that's a (laughs) big deal. It also means that there's a recipe that I was supposed to make that I didn't, but. So cut up slices of lemon, put them in a pot with some water, had some cinnamon sticks. Didn't expect that to happen, but you don't need the sticks. You can just do ground cinnamon in the pot, uh, ground cloves in the pot we happen to have rosemary growing in our yard. So I got a couple sprigs of that and put it in the pot. I think that's a, everything, those four things. Uh, bring it to a boil. Once it's boiling, put it down on December. You've got hours of fall smells, aromas floating through your house, gently inviting you to this season to slow down and rest
0: i'm here for it that's like a party trick but i that a lot of people do especially in like the Mm -hmm. fall and winter but i'm here Mm -hmm. for doing it just for yourself
1: (laughs) yeah it's it's just been for me and intern eric and the dogs and we all love it
0: i love it i love that for you thank you i what's gotten me in the fall spirit is the fact that i have a deck and my tree is just starting to turn the leaves on my big old tree it's just starting to turn and I recently actually instead of just sitting in a camping chair out on my deck yeah I got some actual like deck furniture so now I have an actual place to sit on my deck uh yellow orange maroon what color are we talking what the tree or my deck furniture (laughs) the leaves the leaves (laughs) So the tree's green. Don't ask. I should be able to tell you what kind of tree it is. And I can't.
1: Oh, not expected.
0: It's gigantic though. And, um, yeah, so it's it, a yard so tree it's currently mostly we'll green. It's a yard tree. Yeah. And it is just starting to turn yellow. Like just some of the leaves, like mostly exposed to the sun are just starting to turn yellow and they'll turn yellow and then they'll turn orange and then they'll turn <sighs> deep red and then they'll oh, all yeah. die that's what yes and then they'll all die and then it'll all die and <laughs> winter will be here and hopefully that won't take only two weeks to happen but yes like hopefully yeah. I get to enjoy it okay listeners hashtag fat girl fall we love to see it and be safe out there
1: we'll see you next time we'll talk to you next time we'll see you we won't see you or talk to you we'll talk at you and you'll hear us
0: we'll talk at you <laughs> next time <laughs> bye -bye. um (laughs) we're almost done Percy just hold on
2: (laughs) you can leave it in in.
1: (laughs) leave it in you can bark in a minute